0: Welcome to this week's episode of CTSNet's podcast, The Beat. I'm your host, Dr. Brian Mitzman, thoracic surgeon with the University of Utah Health System and the Huntsman Cancer Institute in Salt Lake City. CTSNet Beat focuses on the latest research, news, and interviews from the world of cardiothoracic surgery. In addition, you can keep up with the latest cardiothoracic surgery news by subscribing to the CTSNet Journal and News scan. This week, we focus on CTSNet's latest video series created by Dr. Tristan Yan. We then look at the most popular article on CTSNet for last month, a simple technique to manage sternal wound dehiscence. Finally, we look at a recently published article in the Journal of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery on a new esophago-gastric anastomosis simulator. CTSNet often invites guest editors to contribute novel material to the cardiothoracic community. This month, a 12-part video series on technical approaches to thoracic surgical oncology has been provided by Dr. Tristan Yan, with narration by our very own Joel Dunning. Dr. Yan is a consultant cardiovascular and thoracic surgeon based at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney, Australia. The first part of the series, A Day of Thoracic Surgery with Professor Tristan D. Yan, is available now on CTSNet. I've always found the Day in the Life video series quite interesting as we live in our own bubbles and rarely know the daily routines of other surgeons in our own city, let alone on the other side of the world. One of my favorite videos is Dr. Shanda Blackman's Day in the Life, which was posted way back in 2014. Dr. Yan chooses to focus on his team's efficiency, showcasing the ability to perform eight, yes, I said eight, thoracic operations in a single day. And I'm not talking about a couple of lobectomies followed by a half dozen bronchoscopies. In a single day, he performs a robotic thymectomy, pneumonectomy, a robotic wedge resection, and then five vats lobectomies. What a day. I'm a little tired just thinking about it. My favorite part of the video is that even though much of it's played on high speed, for many of the cases, you can see the clock in the background and appreciate the time spent in each case. By 12.45 p.m., Dr. Yan is already on his fourth case, the first vats lobectomy of the day. Many will say, so what? He has two ORs, likely two teams. If I had that, I'd do eight cases in a day also. Well, I disagree. There's a lot more that goes into the balance of having two rooms and that many cases booked for a single day. One delay, one room that isn't turned over properly and set up, and that can drastically ruin the plans laid out for that day. There's definitely an art in balancing that many patients and teams in a given day. And that actually happens here. When Dr. Yan heads in for a sixth case, the patient isn't ready yet. Fortunately, the delay isn't long and allows him for a quick lunch break. The day finishes at 6.30 p.m., and like any true leader, Dr. Yan thanks his surgical assistant, Dr. Jamie Santibanez, who has helped throughout the marathon day, along with the entire operative team. As this video is just the appetizer for the rest of the 12-part thoracic technique series, I think I speak for everyone when I say that we can't wait to see what else Dr. Yan has in store for us. Next up is CTSNet's most popular article from the month of October. Submitted by a team of surgeons at Glenfield Hospital, part of the University Hospitals of Leicester in the UK, is entitled A Simple Technique to Manage Sternal Wound Dehiscence. Both CT surgeons that specialize in open heart techniques and general thoracic surgeons can both commiserate about the nightmare of non healing sternum, whether or not it's from a sternal wound infection. Personally, in the States, we often call the plastic surgeons to bail us out when such situations arise. The authors describe a series of 42 patients who had sternal wound dehiscence but focus on one specific patient in their video. As I describe the following scenario, I think you'll all feel the author's pain and frustration as the case develops. The patient is a 44-year-old man and initially underwent a three-graft cabbage utilizing the LIMA and two veins. Immediately after closure, he arrested requiring chest compressions. The chest was reopened and two additional venous grafts were placed to the LAD and obtuse marginal. While he was discharged after an unremarkable recovery, at four years he was found to have non union of the sternum. Remarkably, he was found to have a 1.4 centimeter gap of his sternum with multiple broken wires. Fortunately, there was no infection. Seems like a simple fix, right? Take out the wires, reapproximate the sternum, put in some plates. Very reasonable, and that's exactly what the authors did. He initially felt fine, but four months later he had a fall. If it wasn't for that fall, would the story have ended here? Quite possibly. The fall displaces sternal plates and pain discomfort return along with the sternal gap. So, now you have a patient with five patent grafts and a sterile non-union of his sternum with a large gap and significant discomfort. What are you going to do? Personally, I'd already be dialing my favorite plastic surgeon's cell phone number. The authors have another trick up their sleeve though, bilateral myocutaneous pectoralis major muscle flaps, which will take the pulling force off of the healing sternum and also provide appropriate coverage. There are a few key points that the authors make. There is no need to try to dissect the edge of the sternum that's densely adhering to the five open grafts. First, clean up the visible sternal edge using a curette. Get rid of that old granulation tissue that may inhibit healing. Use number five Ethibond interrupted sutures. Pass them through the partial thickness of the sternum, cross them, and then reapproximate the sternum. The next step is the pectoralis muscle flaps. After detaching the muscle from the chest wall, drains are placed in the deep space to prevent seroma and then the bilateral pec muscles are approximated to each other using numerous interrupted sutures. My description really does not do this video justice. The authors do an excellent job showing their technique and provide step-by-step instructions. If you're routinely performing sternotomies, I suggest giving this video a whirl and adding a new technique to your skill set. So far, we've talked about a day in the life of Dr. Yan in Sydney, Australia, and a great technique for those failed sternotomies. Let's finish off with a great manuscript published in this month's Journal of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery. Simulation has become a cornerstone of surgical education to the extent that general surgery residents are now required to pass the fundamentals of laparoscopic surgery simulation curriculum in order to obtain board certification. In the cardiothoracic surgery world, we have numerous simulator modules, including completely virtual exercises such as the SimNow platform on the da Vinci robot, and tissue models that range from a synthetic coronary anastomosis model to utilizing porcine hearts for valve implantation, all the way to the heart model for lobectomy. As a previous STS Top Gun finalist on the cabbage simulator when I was in training, I personally can attest to the increased confidence and skill I obtained spending hours sewing those little plastic tubes together. How do we develop similar simulation models for other techniques that are not only useful for our trainees, but cost-effective? Dr. Mark Orringer, master and innovator of the transhiatal esophagectomy, presents us with his novel cervical esophagogastric anastomosis simulator. Many of you have either been trained directly by Dr. Orringer during his illustrious career or by someone who was trained by him. The modified Orringer anastomosis is an excellent way to recreate continuity between a gastric conduit and the proximal esophagus. But in an optimal world, our trainees would get to learn and practice the techniques outside the high-stakes environment of an esophagectomy. This is where Dr. Orenger's simulation model can come into play. As Dr. Orenger notes, as the simulator is being validated, its use has shifted from not only being a teaching tool, but also an assessment tool for the University of Michigan surgery trainees. The best part? The upfront cost will only run approximately $500, including six pairs of single-use esophageal and gastric castings, along with a bubble tester to evaluate the quality of the simulated anastomosis. An additional six-pack of castings will be approximately $175, or $29.17 per simulation. Considering how much programs spend on other simulation exercises, if Dr. Orringer's continued validation of this model pans out and shows improved outcomes in the OR for our trainees, that $29.17 will be money well spent. Thank you for listening to this week's Beat. If you have an idea for a future episode or would like to get in touch, please visit us on ctsnet.org. I can personally be found on Twitter using the the handle at Brian Mitzman. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review so we can be more readily found. Keep an eye out for our JANs, Journal and News Scan, where we pick the highest impact latest stories for you. From myself and the rest of the CTSnet team, thank you for spending time with us and see you next time.